If you want to travel with us this morning and you want to look up some things in the Bible, there's this great version Bible app and you can grab it, bible.com forward slash app and you can follow with us in the book of Mark and the book of Matthew this morning and uh, it is good to be here the, today. Is anyone finding it difficult to get going with life again after Christmas? Anyone? Yeah, I am. I am. I hit the wall this week. I came back with energy from the Philippines and then a week and a half into it and I went, I've got to sleep. I've got to sleep. Is anyone sleeping long hours right now or is it just me? Because I looked after so many kids in that children's home. I actually don't think I did one night shift. The others did night shifts. I did the day shifts. The day shifts were harder, much harder. You know, I come back from the Philippines, three things, three things that hit me more than anything else. I'm glad we're talking about what we're talking about this morning in renovation because we need to apply it to the church life here. But I come back with three things. The first one is we have no people here in Australia. We have none, none, no people. The second thing is we have no cars in Australia. Yeah, we arrive back and we drive and it's like, where are all the cars? There are no cars here in Australia. The third thing is we are in the most livable city in the entire world. It does not get, I'm not just being parochial, we're voted often the most livable, yeah? And so this is it. This is the pinnacle. So as the Australians, just take the faith side apart for a moment, as Australians go, we have so much resource available to us that it's incumbent, I think, upon us to go, how do we give something back to the rest of the world? Because we are in the top of the top. Now that's just my little lecture from the side this morning, that's all. We're going to start off this morning. So three things, I come back with no cars, no people, and we have so much opportunity here in Australia. It is enormous. Last week, we were asking a really serious question, and if you missed it, I'd I'd encourage you to look up on uh, the net and go over the talk, because we were asking a question to do with yourselves. Who do you want to become in 2015? You see, we were talking about time. We recognise that if you take the big chunks of who you want to become and lock those things in your diary, then the chances are you'll be heading towards becoming that person. For a follower of Jesus here, someone who says Jesus Christ is the person I'm trying to emulate, they ask, we ask a deeper question. We ask this, who does God want me to become in 2015? And so we had these value cards we'd set aside. Someone had suggested they did this for their own family, Renee and Paul. We loved that idea. So we had values cards set aside. People grabbed them. A lot of people ordered them. And so if that was you, then I just want to encourage you to continue with the next step. Go through those values as an individual, as a family unit, and try and work out what are the big boulders I want to lock in to my diary. And so we talked about time. And how we allocate it can make all the difference. Well, this week I want to follow on with a similar question, but it's more corporate. Who do we want to become in 2015? And for those, because we believe that this is a church here and that Jesus is at the centre of it, asking a more probing question, a spiritual one, who does God want NCR to become over the next year? Well, maybe not just the next year, But what about in the next 10 years? Who does NCR want to become? Who does God want us to become? 
Really at the heart of this question uh, that I've been asking is, is a reflection that I've been undertaking over the last 6 to 12 months. In fact, it's a question executive has been asking of me. It's a question pastoral team has been discussing. And it's a question that we think is relevant because we're heading into our teens. In July this year, we will be 13. We'll be 13 years old. And I'm wondering, what about the next 13 years? How do we plan ahead? So if you're wondering what I'm talking about this morning, it's packed up into one simple word, vision, vision. You see, someone's described vision as this, a picture of the future that ignites a passion in you. Someone else has described vision like this, a dream fulfilled with hope of how life could be. Vision. So this morning, what I'd like to do with the time that I have available is do some vision casting, if I may. Uh, My daughter, my oldest daughter, Bronte, has been doing some vision casting over the last six to eight months. She doesn't know she's been doing vision casting, but she has, and she's done it really, really well because she's eventually got her way. So this is how it's worked in our family. (laughs) Is that about six to eight months ago, she decided that she was growing into a mature woman and it was probably high time that she needed to flex her muscles a little bit and not share the same room with her sister. You see, she's a growing individual and she realised that if she wanted our youngest daughter to actually survive the next five years, that it was in our best interest to move her to another place, to a new room in our house. The fact is, though, in our house, we don't have any more rooms. So she eyed off the one room that was available, the study. And she began to cast vision six to eight months ago. She said, Dad, Mum, every week she would do this. Dad, Mum, I see my bed being in that room. It's no longer called the study. It's called my bedroom. And in that bedroom, it's painted this colour. And my bed's there and the, and the wardrobe's over there. And, and I can see the mirror there. This is my bedroom. It's not a study anymore. And we would say, no, it's a study. Yeah, you see, with, with every vision caster, there's always naysayers, and we couldn't see it. It was the same thing in, in that's why we showed the clip this morning from We Bought a Zoo. It's because there was a dad, Matt Damon, who'd lost his wife, and he was trying to reconstruct a new life with his son and with his daughter. And so he had this vision of this desired outcome that they were going to live in a new house, and it just happened to be in a zoo, and that if they worked on this project together, that they would be able to heal their souls, that they would be able to reconstruct their lives, relationships mended, and, it was, and he could see that ahead. I just want you to know this morning, if there's anyone who casts vision, look out for the people who aren't quite there yet. You see, this has worked in my daughter's favour because she knew that through persistence and energy and convincing that she would eventually nag us and wear us, that she would cast so much vision that we couldn't help but get on board with it. So she continued to cast vision. And every week, I see my bed here. I I see the wardrobe there. I see that until in the end, there was a passion ignited in my wife. One day she woke up and when my wife jumps on the things, it's boots and all. And she went, you know what? I finally see this room no longer being a study. I see it as a bedroom, a place where you can exist individually, and still allow our other daughters to survive and grow and thrive in this house. And so she decided that in the time frame of a day and a half, she would renovate the room because she had guests coming for dinner in a day and a half. And so in the morning time, as my wife does, she got together, powwowed with my daughter, and together they began to paint the room and create a bedroom. 
it was no longer a study. And a day and a half later, she made it. Everything was moved out, moved back in again, and we had guests over for dinner. How about that? That is a renovation. You see, what we're talking about this month is renovating. And renovating starts with a vision. Prior to Christmas, I would take off from the office, head up into the Dandenong Hills, not ride my bike, but sit in a retreat centre and simply sit and think and pray and say to God, God, who do you want us to become? And I dared to take out a pen from my pocket and write on the top page these words of my journal diary, vision, to see into the future with optimism. And I said, God, I'm here in this space and what I'd like you to do is to speak to me about your vision. Because it's easy for me to go and dream up a whole bunch of things. It's easy for me to just come up with some ideas. But I kind of figured that it's best probably to start with the person who's kind of the head of or the founder of the organisation, right? You guys get it here and girls who are in businesses. Uh, If you walked into the boardroom and said to them, I know we make computers, but I've had this great idea. I think we should make ice cream, yeah? You better have worked out why. You better have checked out with the four founders of the organisation about what their vision was and what values they have to see if they align before you come in with a radical idea. So I thought I'd do the same and check out what Jesus might say because believe it or not, Jesus had a vision and he did enormous amount of vision casting when he reached the age of around 30 and this event happened. It says in Mark chapter 1, 14 to 15, it goes like this. After John was put in prison, that is his cousin, John, was put in prison, Jesus went into the region of Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And this is what he said. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. Let's just back up for a moment, unpack this for a second because it's important. If we're going to cast vision around here to know what Jesus did with casting his own vision. First thing we come to is this word good news. The Greek word for this is euangelion, and that's as Greek as we're getting this morning, okay, just so you know. The Greek word for this is euangelion, and it's used to celebrate something, maybe a birthday, maybe a success, a victory in battle, or maybe there's a new ascension of a king to a throne, and you want to celebrate. And so they would use this word good news. The equivalent we have today is probably the word newsflash. Or if you're watching the television and there's a little text that comes up down the bottom with some new news that says breaking news. Yeah. So this word would be breaking news. Jesus casting vision and he would say, I want to tell you some breaking news from God. And he goes on, the time has come, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Now, if you were a Jewish person, because Jesus was Jewish and he lived in this Galilee region, was Jewish people, they would call themselves God's people, you would have been brought up with the idea that you have a unique vocation and calling in your life. Uh, Centuries before, they had a common ancestor by the name of Abraham that it was said that God spoke to. And in God speaking to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. God made a promise. He said, through you and through your people, my people, I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going to do a restorative work to fix the world through you. 
So if you were a Jewish person growing up in this time with Jesus, you would have anticipated that there was this promise that God had made and it continued to grow over the centuries that you would be used in some substantial way to join with God in shaping his world. In fact, at the time in which Jesus lived, this phrase had turned into a slogan, a revolutionary slogan, that went something like this, there is no king but God, which was quite revolutionary because anyone living in those days would have understood that it was Caesar in Rome who ruled the world. But they would defiantly say, there is no king but God. They longed for a time when God's anointed king, his Messiah or the Christ, would come and he would do three things when he came. First thing he would do is kick out all of the pagan overlords. Rome ruled the world. Jewish person believed that it was their sovereign right to be free of occupation and that God would rule them. So if you asked a Jewish person, are you still in captivity in exile? They would say, of course we are. Look who's ruling our country. So the first thing the king or the Messiah, the Christ would do is come and liberate them. The second thing he would do is he would call people's hearts back towards pleasing God. The third thing he would do is that when he arrived to the temple, he would restore it if it had been broken down. If the practices had fallen out, he would reconstruct them and make sure that was taking place so that the link between God's dwelling heaven and earth would meet once again. If you like, the temple, they believed, was the centre of the universe, the place where heaven and earth met. That's what the Messiah would do. And so when Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God, you could imagine the kind of anticipation. And then he goes on and says this, repent and believe the good news. Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a second. Religious term here, repent. You're getting all religious on me, Troy. Repent. What is this? If you're driving here and if anyone here drives a car, you would know what this term repent is because you do it all the time. You see, if you're heading down Canberra Road, heading in a westerly direction and you realise you need to go east, you do a U-turn and you head the other direction. You do an about face. You are going that way, but now you're heading this way. In a spiritual sense, if you're heading away from God, it's an opportunity to turn back and head towards him. If you were living a life that wasn't pleasing him, you could go back and actually live a pleasing life to him. If you were embracing some kind of sin or bad behaviour, you could actually let it go and do an about face and head the other direction towards. That's simply what the word repent means. So Jesus would walk around the countryside casting vision, the good news, breaking news of God. His kingdom has come near, so do an about face and embrace this wonderful opportunity that you have. Now I want to jump to the book of Matthew. Because in Matthew, Jesus has been vision casting and he meets a group of people on a hillside and he starts to talk to them about how they are integrally involved in his vision casting. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. Jewish people, Middle Eastern people would use salt to preserve their meats, use salt to add flavour. Jesus was saying, if you want to be part of God's family, if you want to be called one of my own people, a follower, I want you to understand that you have a vocation. You have a sense of calling. I want you to act like this salt. 
that it preserves the world you're in, that it adds flavour, it brings mercy and justice and rightness and goodness to the world around about. But, he says, if it loses its saltiness, what good is it? It just needs to be discarded. He goes on and he says, he he continues with that, that idea, that metaphor, but now using light. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, he said light isn't supposed to be covered up. Light dispels darkness. When you turn the light on, it's because you want to see or let other people see you don't hide it in the same way. I would like you to engage with God in such a way that his goodness and his life might shine through you so that others might see a little bit of who he is. And they too one day might say, wow, if that's what your God is like, I'd like a little piece of that myself. You see, that's why I loved Babak's story this morning, hey? that God can actually turn up in dreams and that he can answer those dreams and they can actually go, he's alive, he's real and the transformation in his life is profound. It's marvellous. A light to others, you. If I could summarise Jesus' vision casting, I'd put it in words something like this. Breaking news. God, the creator of heaven and earth, is fulfilling his ancient promise to put the world right through his son Jesus and you, yes you, you ordinary you, are welcome to be part of this glorious vision. So do an about face before it's too late. Clean yourself up with God by taking hold of Jesus with all you've got and allow his life to infuse all of you so that others will see not just Not not that you're just play acting, but that God's alive in you and his forgiving restorative power is available for all. (sighs) Vision. You see, Jesus had it in oodles and bundles. So I sat up there, up in the hills, going, "Now, now Jesus, I need to kind of just check in with you first before I start to write anything else. Because the executive had been asking, pastoral team had been discussing, we're becoming teenagers now, and I don't want to just look for the next year, but what about the next five years? What about the next ten years away? What does it look like around here? Because we're not, let's face it, we're putting on weight, right? We're not losing it, which is a good thing. I'm talking about the rooms and the walls, okay? So I turned the page. And I started to write statements like, I see. I want to share three of them with you in our time remaining this morning. I see. The first thing I put down is that I see a church growing in influence, shaping its city. I see a church growing in influence, shaping its city. Now, I know all the English teachers here are probably saying the grammar's all wrong, but I had to abbreviate, okay? Just abbreviate along the way. I see a church growing in influence. There's always a naysayer here, so just go with me, all right? I I see a church growing in influence, shaping its city. Have you noticed how many minority groups influence our country? There's a gun lobby, federal and state. There's a car enthusiast group. Did you know that? And there's also a thing called the sex party. Yeah, and they influence our country. Now, I have you happy with two of the three of those. Um, One I'm not as happy with, you can figure that out. But I tell you, uh, there is a lot of minority groups influencing our country. And I thought to myself, what would it look like for new community to be a church of influence 
that's serious about shaping its city of Maroondah. You see, Maroondah have their own vision. They have a 2040 statement that Maroondah is going to become the centre of well-being. I like that. And I wonder, how would we influence the centre of well-being, this place, in a positive way? What would it mean for people to actually go, you know what, I'm going to actually run for council. I attended the Chamber of Commerce meeting before Christmas. I was invited. Had communication with all kinds of different businesses. Doors wide open. What would it mean for people from new community to actually regularly attend the Chamber of Commerce and have influence in conversation? Why? Because they see a bigger picture and how it's forming. They can shape a city for good. One of the things we asked a group before Christmas, we said to them, we got a representative group of, of uh, people here, about 40 in the room down below. And we said to them on a particular day, what words do you use to define who we are and how you see us? And they said, we see new community as being an outreaching place. We see new community as being a place that looks beyond itself and is generous. We see new community as being a place that adapts to the environment that's around about and changes things up. But we see that we have an outward focus. And I like that. We felt there was a lot of alignment with that. The good thing I see about this is I wonder what would it look like if we have a church that's growing in its influence, shaping its city. While the government right now is kicking out chaplains from the schools, well, they're not quite. But there's groups that would like that. We're actually having sporting groups, the EFL here, and you heard it from Dave Burt last year, say, we want chaplains. You know, the EFL is the largest football competition in Australia. From the top down, they're all saying, would you please send us a chaplain? Would you raise up a chaplain so you can influence, in my words now, the centre and the heart of Australian life? If it's not sport, I don't know what is. Did anyone watch the game last night? Heart stopping. Let's not talk about that. However, the centre of the life of the community. In other words, would you come and help shape and influence your community for good? Could we do that? I think we could. I see a church growing in influence, shaping its city. The next thing I put down was this. I see a flourishing church, a centre of well-being. Ha, huh, I wonder where I got those words from. Just before Christmas time, we talked about happiness, didn't we? Happiness. I was reading all these different books from all the different experts about how to be happy. And we said happiness is actually a byproduct, it's not a commodity. And there were three things, because I've reflected upon this over, over the Christmas break and, and whilst I was with babies, I was reflecting upon this a lot. Three things, they all say the same thing. The most important thing for cultivating happiness, cultivate healthy, loving relationships in your life. The most primary one being, if you are married, choose the right person. That's why it's so important. We need to do preparation there. Choose the right and cultivate a happy, loving and then extend it out to other people. Aunties, uncles, friends, neighbours, cultivate healthy, loving relationships. The second thing it says is know your strengths, know your gifts, know your skills and use them wisely. Use them more often than not. Third thing, latch on to a cause that's greater than yourself. Now, if, if there's, those three things are implicit to following Jesus, yeah? Number one, love God with all your heart, mind and your soul and love your neighbour as yourself. If there's something not that just wonderful about cultivating relationships to do it in a community here, I don't know what is. Number two, know your skills and your strengths. Wow. And use them. Huh. 
we, we have a thing in, in church communities called spiritual gifts, but we can extend that to, to strengths and skills. The third thing is be part of a cause that's greater than yourself. And Jesus came into Galilee saying, breaking news, God's up to something here on earth and you can be part of it too. And you're welcome. I see. When we asked that group of people who represented New Community, that just that, that portion, they said the thing that we love about this place is that people feel like they belong. There's an authenticity in the way in which people share their stories. We want to continue to cultivate community and we value those things. The last thing I put down, the last thing I put down, because there's more. See, if you want to see more, you actually have to come on the 19th. Oh, this is my plug, the ninth Thursday night, the 19th, our vision night here, because there's more to come and I want you to write it down in your diaries. This, I see an enthusiastic church who inspires its people to align their strengths to impact their community around about, which means we've got to get serious, more serious, about identifying what are your strengths, how are you wired and how can you use them in your workspace, in your community, in your church life, all of these things together. Because when you do use that, you'll be more happy when you use that, you feel like you're making a difference and you'll be partnering with God. I see an enthusiastic who inspires its people to align their strengths. Is anyone hearing me out here or am I just talking to myself? To I see, I see, I see. You see, one of the most powerful things that you could be involved in is dreaming a dream with God and allowing him to take it wherever you would like. There's nothing to come after that. I'll just leave that one up there along the way. See, if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I like the idea of that, but where do I start? I'm going to invite you to start with me with this card. In fact, Wednesday mornings for the next month, we're going to have prayer time set aside because I believe at the heart of it is actually asking, doing the ask of God. And if you'd like to join with us, and I would encourage you to do so, grab 15 minutes, half an hour, one hour. We're going to meet every Wednesday morning for two hours from 6.30 to 8.30 here on the premise. The details are on the card. Would you, on the way to work, on the way out somewhere, on your jog along the way, join us and just pray. And the prayer is going to be focused on different things, but essentially it's asking God. Secondly, this week, would you join me? at 12 o'clock each day, when the clock strikes 12, that you might pray a prayer that just goes like this. God, who do you want us to become? Would you dream a dream with us? In fact, would you put your dream? And then you can pray for different circumstances around about you, but at 12 o'clock, would you designate, put it in your diary, make it beep. And when someone says, what's the beep? You go, don't worry. I'm just going to pause for a moment. Go, I'm just going to pray. And then join us on Thursday, the 19th as well. Cindy's going to come up. Band's going to come up right now. We're going to finish off with some reflective time. But I realise in closing this morning that as I start dreaming, and I reckon this might take us a year to work itself out, we don't have to rush, but let's just get there steadily, is that I realise that when someone is in a hard situation in life where maybe there's trauma or maybe there's difficulty or maybe there's heartache, that it's hard to dream and hope, isn't it? There's a passage in the Bible in Acts chapter 3. It goes like this, verse 19. Repent then, we've come across that word, and turn to God 
so that your sins may be wiped out. And here's the emphasis that times of refreshing may come from God. I wonder if you're here this morning and more than anything else, you just need some time for refreshing before you can dream. As Cindy sings, I'd invite you to close your eyes, maybe posture-wise, open up your hands and maybe if you need some time of refreshing, you might just say, God, if you're there, would you refresh me? Troy's been just loud for the last 25 minutes. I just need a break. I need to listen and absorb and meet with you. Maybe you're here this morning, first time, don't even know anything about God. I'm so glad you're here. Come back again next week. I'm glad you're here because you're hearing this morning what the heart of God is for this world. Vision casting. And he invites you to be part of it. You. Even if you're far from God, you. So turn around. His arms are open and wide. And you can meet with him right now. So as Cindy sings, you might want to close your eyes. Open up your mind. And you might want to speak with God and just say, God, would you minister to me? I need times of refreshing. And meet with him.